make sure this thing's on. Okay. I don't usually want to take time from the pulpit to do a bunch of personal stuff, but uh, Mia did a great job this morning. <laughs> I just, uh, I, I couldn't have done that at the age of 13, gotten up here in front of everybody, in front of the new friends at church and everything. So that was wonderful. I was blessed by that. Um, I think that's the first time she's, she's sang with you before, but never the done the whole thing of worship. So good job, Mia. <laughs> I just wanted to give her that little shout out. Uh, so again, welcome everybody. We're glad you're here with us to worship this morning. Uh, if you're a guest, we're, we're so thankful that you chose to spend your Sunday morning to worship with us. Uh, so last week we finished up a series talking about Abraham. Last week we were looking at that entire series. We were looking at God's promises and Abraham's faith. And last week we looked at the, the call of Abraham to go and sacrifice his son Isaac, being willing to give up the promised son. And Abraham did that, and he held back nothing from God. And God blessed him and said, Because you have not withheld your son, your only son whom you love from me, I'm going to bless you. And he gives all these blessings to Abraham. And this goes all the way throughout history. And as we went through the series, we also looked at how Jesus was the fulfillment of all the promises that God made to Abraham. God fulfilled those promises in Abraham's life, but then we also looked at how Jesus is the greater fulfillment of all those promises. And so as I thought about where we were going to go from that series, we did our first series together in the book of Ephesians, if you remember. We were looking at, at unity in the body and how we are all united to Christ. And then our next series, we went and looked at Abraham and the covenant promises to him and so when I was thinking about this series, I was like, well, what, what better place to go than to do something in the Gospels? Let's go look at the life of Christ itself. Let's look at actually what Jesus taught, what he said, what he did. After all, he is, he is our Lord, he's our Savior and our King. So why wouldn't we want to go spend some time looking at his actual life and not just the theology of his life? So I thought about how we would go about this and, and really... I came on the idea of doing this a little bit differently than I normally do my sermons. So if you'll bear with me, I'm kind of giving a caveat here. I'm going to step outside of my own comfort zone for a couple of weeks. And, and if it's a train wreck, you guys can just forgive me and we'll move on and we won't do that again. Um, anyway, so this new series we're in is called Follow Me. You'll notice we have three different texts this week that we're into. Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke. Those are the synoptic gospels. The truth behind that is, is as I was preparing for this all week long, I could never settle on which account I wanted to do this through. So I was like, I'm just going to give them all three, and, and we'll, the Lord, I trusted the Lord to bring me here by at least Sunday, and, and he did. We kinda, I kind of settled this out. But anyway, so the series we're in is going to be called Follow Me. And now we're all followers of Jesus, right? As believers, we are all followers of Jesus. But I often wonder what it was like to follow Jesus as one of the disciples. And what I mean by that is to follow the man as he walked around this earth, as he went about his ministry throughout Galilee and Judea and going back and forth and ministering to people, what it would be like to sit in a room as he healed a paralytic person, what it would be like to watch him perform a miracle and, and turn water into wine or to feed thousands of people, what it would be like to actually see that firsthand and not just read about it and be a little bit disconnected from it. 
You know, because even though the disciples and Christ lived on this earth 2,000 years ago, they lived in a completely separate culture, a completely separate time. Their circumstances were different than ours. But they're still people just like us, right? They still face the same issues. They had concerns about their life, about their family, their careers, money, survival, politics. We can relate to all that, can't we? So maybe they're not as different as as we think they are from us, their life. And so I want to approach this series through their eyes, the eyes of the disciples, and look at through their culture, their experiences, and, and their background, Um, And I want us to see things the way they may have seen them. And so as we do this, I think that we'll see that those words that we have in Scripture written, you know, given to us 2,000 years ago, are just as applicable to us today as they were to them at that time. I want us to see this for ourselves and how we would react if we were there, but then also how it applies to us today. Like I said, I'm still working through all this, and I'm just letting you guys know that. So if I kind of, if it seems like I'm working this together, I really, really was working this together. I spent tons of time on hours trying to make this all fit and and fit the right way as I felt led. Anyways, so we're going to start, we're going to go through the eyes of the disciples. And I thought, who better to start with as far as a disciple to look through his eyes than Peter? Every one of y'all thought it. Some of y'all didn't, but most of you did. I can see some smiles there. But Peter, why Peter? Well, he's one of the most relatable characters in the Bible, right? Peter finds himself in doing a lot of good things. He does a lot of things really, really well. And then he does a lot of things really, really not well, right? He, He makes a lot of great decisions, and then he makes a lot of poor decisions. At times we'll see Jesus and him interacting and there's, Jesus is affirming him and, and, and edifying him. And then at other times, Jesus is chastising him and at one point tells Peter, get behind me, Satan. He never spoke like that to any of the disciples. So he and Jesus have a, a very personal relationship. But I think that we can all relate to doing things well and then doing things not so well. And Peter's also great because there's just, quite frankly, a lot of content in the Gospels with Peter because he would always speak up. He'd always open that mouth without thinking, and it got him into trouble quite a bit. And I don't know if y'all can relate to that. I can. I can say things before the filter goes off, and I'm like, ooh, and I try to grab it as it goes, but it's already out. Everybody's already heard it, so I can't take it back. Anyway, so that's why I think Peter would be a great way to start. And Ultimately, with Peter, regardless of his, you know, a life of of faith and and fallings, grace and growth, Peter's ultimately a person who followed Christ, and his life was transformed by the gospel. So I think he's he's the perfect person to use uh, to do this through. And so as we begin, before we jump into the text today, we're going to put ourselves in, in Peter's shoes. We're going to stay with Peter for a couple of weeks, and, and we may jump out of this series for a while and come back later and go through another disciple. Still haven't worked it all out, but I want to mix in some flashbacks of Peter's memories that were given in the scriptures with also some things we're going to see right then in the, for our text that day. So I'm not worried about making this chronologically perfect, if that makes sense. If you, if you have done any study at all in the scriptures, especially the, the Gospels, you know that it's hard to make every single item in the Gospels line up chronologically. But today, so we're going to start with putting ourselves in Peter's shoes. So imagine, 
if you will. Imagine that you are Simon Peter, a brand new follower of Jesus, and you just left behind your entire life to follow this man. Just a few days ago, you were working in your boat with your brother, Andrew, right? You worked on the Sea of Galilee, you were fishermen, and your brother uh, was a fisherman with you. And you had some business partners named James and John. Their father's name was Zebedee. They're your business partners as fishermen. And you've been a fisherman your whole life. And it's been a hard life, right? It's not easy being a Jew back then in Capernaum. You had to work to provide for your family. The scriptures tell us that, that Peter had a wife and a mother-in-law specifically. Uh, and then you had to observe all the Jewish uh, traditions and teachings, the law, the rites, the ceremonies, the festivals. You had to make trips to Jerusalem three times a year for Passover, Shabbat, Sakat, these festivals. You'd have to go about 50 miles from your home all the way down to Jerusalem and then back again with everybody else, all the abled, other able-bodied men who could go. And then not to, not to add even more to that, you've you got to survive. You've got to provide for your family. You've got to honor your, your Jewish religious heritage. You also live in a land that's completely overrun and ruled by Rome. You have these Roman guards roaming about from time to time. So you have to observe all the Jewish laws, but then you've got to observe all the Roman laws. And Rome's a, a, a nuisance because it's such a powerful enemy that no matter how many times your people resist, they can't push Rome out by force. So the best thing that, that the Jewish people had was the religious zealots who would try to assassinate these guys. They were literally terrorists who would try to assassinate Rome. So that's how your life was. A simple yet very difficult life. A lot of pressure coming from every 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 different place, right? But it's not all bad. You've got your family. You've got the pride of your heritage of being a Hebrew. You've got good business partners with you. Like I mentioned, you're in business with your brother and, and James and John. And everything in your life was just a, a normal Jewish life living in the first century in Galilee. Everything was normal until one day your religious brother introduces you to a, a man. He introduced you to a man that you'll never forget. Around one of the times uh, you went to one of the festival trips to Jerusalem, your brother starts making some wild claims. He comes to you and says, hey, we found the Messiah. Which as a Jew in that time, you're thinking, whoa, that's a, that's a pretty big claim, right? The Messiah is literally the anointed one. It was God's anointed one that the, that the Jews believed God was going to send them, the anointed one to deliver them from their enemies, and that they, in fact, would rule over all the lands. They would take their proper place as God's people and would not be subjected to those authorities anymore. They thought that this, this Messiah would come and deliver them from all their troubles. So this was a big claim. And so if nothing else, you're, you're a little bit intrigued. When you're, your brother, you know, he's, he's a religious guy. He comes talking that they found the Messiah so you're at least a little bit intrigued. You want to go find out who, who this Messiah is, right? You want to go see him. But then when you saw the man, he wasn't what you were expecting. In fact, he didn't look anything like the champion that you'd always envisioned. What you thought Samson probably looked like. Uh, to be honest, he looked like the opposite of a champion. He looked just like everybody else. He, he didn't look majestic. In fact, he, you, you wouldn't even think he was that, uh, you know, handsome. You, 
you thought yourself were probably more handsome than he was. There's really nothing beautiful or spectacular about him. He just seemed pretty normal. And then he seemed a little too humble. How could this every man be the Messiah? There's nothing special about him, right? So you're a little confused. I mean, he thought maybe Andrew was mistaken. Maybe he'd been led astray by John the Baptist, that crazy religious zealot who lived off in the wilderness by himself proclaiming that Messiah was coming. And maybe Andrew had been a little bit misled or misunderstood maybe what John was saying. And you thought Andrew was wrong until you heard that man speak. When you met that man, Jesus, and when you heard his voice, you, it was the voice of a man just like you. And yet when he spoke to you, it's as if God himself was speaking to you. And he looked at you and he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Peter. You're confused at this pronouncement, but something in you at the same time agreed with it. Simon was your name. That was the name your father, Jonah, gave you. But yet when this man told you that your name was Peter, something in you told you that Peter was indeed your name. And in fact, part of you wondered if it had always been your name. So just a few days ago, you were fishing with your brother and your business partners, but now you're going throughout Galilee with this man following him around, this man named Jesus, a man claiming to be the Messiah, telling people that the kingdom of God had come, and a man who said to you just a few days ago, follow me. But what was going to happen next? Military conquest? Were you going to raise an army? Was he going to rain fire and brimstone down from heaven to destroy your enemies like God did to Sodom and Gomorrah? You had no clue what was going to happen next. And in fact, Jesus didn't tell you what his plans were. You, you didn't even understand why he called a, the four of you fishermen to join him in what he's doing in the first place. Couldn't he find somebody better? And from the looks of the everybody else that was with him, they weren't much to write home about either. This was a strange thing. But something deep down inside of you told you that this man is the Messiah. He is the Christ. And none of it seemed to make sense. But the things he did, the things that you saw were undeniable. You couldn't deny that the things he did could, have only, be done, could only have been done by the power of God. And so today, this morning, you set off to continue your travels throughout Galilee. And you were ready for great things. You were looking forward to greatness following this Messiah. And you set off on your journey that morning, and all of a sudden, you're ready for a great day, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, appears this disgusting, hideous, infected leper. He's got on the nastiest clothes you've ever seen. He's hideous, and just the smell of this man alone makes you gag a little bit. This disgusting man comes up and he falls before you and falls before Jesus and your group. He falls on his knees and bows his faith down to the ground. 
Well, what is this disgusting leper doing? He's, he's unclean. He knew better. He couldn't come that close to everybody else. He, Jewish law said that he had to live alone, outside, away from everybody else, and he had, to, he had to stay away lest his disease infect other people. Why on earth was he getting this close to others? And now you didn't know everything about the law, but you could at least remember that, that unclean people, these lepers, had to be completely put out from society. Then this unclean man, disgusting, dirty, foul, had the audacity to speak to Jesus. Not only has he gotten too close to all of you, now he's talking What right does he have to talk to the Messiah? And if you weren't so disgusted at this person and worried that you'd get infected by getting anywhere closer to him, you you would have removed him completely from the Lord's presence. But you were so worried about yourself getting infected that you, you stayed back. And then the man spoke as he's bowed down on his knees, face down to the ground, and says to Jesus... Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Again, you've seen Jesus heal some people. You've seen him heal the sick. In fact, he healed your sick mother-in-law just a few days ago. You'd seen him heal hurting people. But being this close to a leper, someone this disgusting and unclean was totally new to you. You hadn't seen anything like this yet. So not sure what to do, you, you wait for the response and you look to Jesus to, to see what he wants to do about this. And as you look at him, you're surprised by what you see. You don't see a look of rejection or repulsion on his face. But instead you see compassion in his eyes. And with compassion, Jesus reaches out his hand to the man. And he touches him. He touches the unclean man. And this is completely shocking to you because to touch an unclean person would make you unclean. And so Jesus has just touched this unclean man and by your thought he's just made himself unclean. Right? But then you hear him speak. Again, in the voice that comes from a man, but spoken as though they are the very words of God himself. Touching the man, he speaks and he says, I will be clean. And instantly, suddenly, miraculously, incredibly, all of a sudden, the disease is completely gone from the man. There's not a spot left on him. Instantly, every bit of his disease is completely healed. He's completely cleansed in every way. And with awe and amazement, you you watch as Jesus is not only able to heal this man, but he wanted to heal that man. Jesus wanted to heal him. He was moved deeply with compassion to reach out to that man. Jesus wanted to see that unclean man. Jesus wanted to touch that unclean man. 
Jesus wanted to speak healing to the unclean man. And in doing so, he gives that man an entirely new leaf on life, right? He gives him an entirely new story. The man who was once an outcast is now clean and can rejoin society. All because this man, Christ Jesus, was compassionate to his uncleanliness. And then the words of Jesus continued as he spoke to the man. And he's saying this as if to teach those who are around listening. When he says this, he says, See that you say nothing to anyone. But go, show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. A proof of his healing. Jesus says, don't don't say anything to anybody. Go to the priest and give what Moses wrote about as a proof for your healing. You thought about this for a, a moment. About lepers and what Moses wrote. And again, studying the law was never your forte as a fisherman. You really have no proclivity for the law. But you knew enough to understand the gist of it. And you remembered part of what Moses wrote in Leviticus comes to mind. For those who have been healed, for lepers who had been healed, people who had been healed of a skin disease, they were to go and to show themselves to the priest. This comes from Leviticus 14. They were to go and show themselves to the priest to be inspected. And after the inspection, if the priest had deemed that they had been healed, the priest was to take two live birds, some cedar wood, a scarlet thread, a crimson thread, red thread, and some hyssop. Then what he would do is he would take one of the birds and kill it over a clay pot filled with water. He would kill that bird so the blood would fall down. Then what he would do is he would sprinkle some of that blood on the person who had been healed. Seven times he was supposed to sprinkle it. And then he would pronounce the healed person to be ceremonially clean. Even though he'd been healed from his disease and was clean, there was a ceremonially clean in the Jewish law. He would pronounce him healed. And the bird, the second bird that was dipped in the blood would then be set free. And all of this sounds kind of strange to us. And honestly, I'm sure Peter didn't realize this at the time. Okay, In fact, I doubt he probably remembered any of this in that moment. But the entire offering that Jesus pointed to when he healed the leprous man should point us to Christ and what he did for us. It should point us to Christ's substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary atonement is a big word for he died in our place. Okay? And so what I mean by that is, again, the first bird was killed. It's blood over the water. The, sec- the second bird would be dipped in that blood. You'd sprinkle the man seven times, pronounce him clean. The second bird that had been dipped was not killed and was set free. Okay? So just think about this for a second. I don't know, that makes, whenever we hear that, they're like, that's kind of, that's, what sense does that really make? Well, I'll tell you this. So the blood of the first bird covers the second bird. Just like the blood of Christ covers us. And then the priest would pronounce the person who had been healed clean. When the priest pronounced him clean, he could rejoin the assembly with everybody else. He could rejoin society. In the same way, Christ, our high priest, 
has sprinkled us with his blood and pronounces us clean. And we can rejoin our fellowship with God. And then the bird was released to go and live freely, covered in the blood. And in the same way, the Holy Spirit releases us into this world to go and live freely, covered in the blood. And I also want to point out one thing, that once you have been cleansed by Christ, cleansed in His blood, you are forever cleansed in His blood, set free to live in His freedom. So I want to ask this today. As we, as we consider this miracle, again, I can't help but wonder what was going through the minds of the disciples during this. Because Peter, one of the first things he ever sees is this, this person that was a completely disgusting, unclean, rejected from society, cast off and put out. Not only being received by Jesus, but Jesus wanting to heal him. I wonder what was going through their minds when they, when they saw this happen. But, but I also want to ask you today, what, what's going through your mind as you think about that? Do you see yourself as unclean? Do you see yourself as diseased and infected by your sin? And no matter how hard you try, you can't seem to get rid of it. It's always there. Are you unclean, but you want to become clean? But you're afraid that if you go to the Lord, He'll reject you. Because you yourself would probably reject you. Sometimes we think God's like us in that way. Sometimes we think, I'm not worthy to go to God, and so he's going to reject me. Maybe you would come to Christ if you just knew he wanted you. And what I want us to understand is the story about the leper coming before Christ was not just for him and them back then, but it's for us today If we will come and fall before him. If we will come and ask him to cleanse us. And ask him if he is willing to cleanse us. He will reach out to each and every one of us. And say, I will. Be clean. And just like the leper. And his disease that was instantly gone. All of your sin. Everything that makes you unclean before God will be healed in an instant. And not only will it be healed instantly, it will be healed eternally. Forever covered in his blood and set free from the disease of sin. Church, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you today and we hear the words of of this story and we marvel at who your Son is, God. We marvel that your Son, the most perfect 
and clean human being that there has ever been did not reject the unclean people that came to him. Rather than push us aside for being unclean, he reaches out to us and touches us and speaks healing over us. All that you ask of us is to come to you for our healing. And Lord, we, we, are, we are just amazed and, and, and speechless to think that you have compassion over us. What is man that you are mindful of him, that you care about us? And yet that's exactly who you are and what you do. Our sin doesn't keep us from you if we come to you. Our sin has separated us from you, but if we come to you, you take away that sin and we are united to you in a new way, in a new life, forgiven forever. And Lord, we just say thank you for that. God, I pray for each person in here, for those who are believers, to understand what you have done for them. What your sacrifice has actually accomplished in their lives. The freedom that they live and walk in each and every day. Because they follow your son, Jesus. And God, I also pray for those in here who don't know you as Lord and Savior the person sitting in here today that knows they are unclean because of their sin God I pray that you would work in their hearts show them that you will not reject them if they come to you but you will receive them that you will heal them and that you will give them a new life in the name of your son we pray all this in Jesus name amen We're about to move into our time of...